Last week we heard about the doctrine of grace alone with the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And next week we're going to learn about faith alone. And this week is about scripture alone. And these are the three themes of these three Sundays, the Sundays of Jesimatide, Septuagesima, Sexagesima, and Quinquagesima. These kind of Lutheran Sundays of pre-Lent. And when we read the scriptures, these things are tied together. Grace, word, and faith. Ephesians 2 tells us we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. Romans 10 tells us that by God's grace, when the word is preached, faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Grace, faith, and word, these things are connected to one another. They cannot be separated from one another. As Lutherans who believe in grace and faith and word, we believe that every doctrine is founded on the word alone, the scriptures alone. I think one of the issues, however, that can come up as Lutherans who are grace alone, faith alone, word alone Christians is that we can start to think of these things as sort of magical incantations. We say faith alone, word alone, grace alone. We put it on all our logos. We put it on the outdoor sign now and then. We talk about these solas. But sometimes I think we can kind of say them without thinking about what they mean. And especially with the doctrine today, word alone, scripture alone, we should be careful not to think of God's word, God's eternal and powerful word that he has given to us through the prophets and apostles. We should not think of this word as some sort of magical incantation. We should not think of the word that if someone just picked up a Bible and read the Bible, then they would kind of magically become a Christian. If that was the case, then our evangelism would look very different. If that was the case, we could all just join the Gideons and maybe there's good things about the Gideons. I'm glad there's Bibles in hotel rooms and in prisons. That's all fine. But we should just join the Gideons and just hand out Bibles to everyone and call it good. And then everyone would just show up to church because they read the Bible and they all became Lutheran Christians. Of course, you know, that doesn't happen. Or we could all walk around with loudspeakers and just play the Bible over the loudspeakers. And if people just heard the words, then magically they would become Christians. That's not how the word works. When the disciples hear Jesus preach, they ask a very important question, kind of Lutheran question. What does this mean? When they had heard these things, he cried, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then the disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? You see, it is important 
Whenever we hear the word, whether we're reading it or listening to it, however the word is coming to us, if it's being preached to us, then we need to think about and meditate on what does the word actually mean? What is Jesus trying to communicate to us in his word? If the words are simply spoken but not Understood, if hearing they hear but do not perceive or understand, then it doesn't matter. The word must be received and also understood. Now, Jesus' answer to this question, what does this parable mean, is rather interesting. Whenever Jesus answers this question, he doesn't, I want you to notice this, he doesn't just break down the grammar of verses 4 through 8. Remember, this is the structure of, of the gospel reading is that Jesus preaches the parable of the sower. The disciples ask what it means. Then Jesus gives them this answer that we're going to talk about in verse 10. And then after that, he explains, goes back through the parable and explains the the meaning of each part of the parable. So it's not whenever the disciples ask him, what does this mean? It's not like he goes back to the first part and says, okay, well, this was the verb that I used, and if we cross-reference it with the other places I've used that verb, then you can see that this is the general meaning of that and that we can use these cross-references and what we know about the Koine Greek grammar to... Uh, explain exactly what I'm, I'm trying to say here. He doesn't do that. And he doesn't go and find some scribal commentary that cross-references Old Testament stories about sowers and seeds to try and explain what's going on. Or he doesn't go and research what the ancient world did as far as farming practices go with sowers and seeds and try and explain it that way. And he also does not just repeat himself over and over again, hoping that if he just says the same words over and over again, they're eventually going to understand. No, instead he says this. To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables. That seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. What does this mean? Whenever the Bible uses the term mystery, it is important to realize that it's not the way that we generally use the term mystery. When the Bible uses the term mystery, it is talking about something that is revealed, a mystery that is solved, something that Jesus has revealed to his people that is true, maybe not comprehensible in a logical sense, but that is fundamentally understood and true. And to the disciples of Christ, the mysteries have been revealed about the kingdom of God. But we should see here, whenever Jesus says this, that to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. 
that seeing the rest has been given in parables, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. We can see by what Jesus doesn't do to explain the parable. We can see what the word is not. First of all, as we already kind of hinted at, the word is not some sort of academic exercise. It is fine to understand the grammar of a passage. In fact, it is necessary in some ways to understand the grammar of a passage. But knowing the grammar alone does not tell us what a passage means. It is interesting if you look at modern academic commentaries on the Bible, there are a lot about grammar and cross-references and diving into the past cultural knowledge that we have about these passages. And all of that is fine. But it is interesting to me that if you go back to older, quote-unquote, commentaries, to early church commentaries, first of all, they didn't really exist. Commentaries are actually an invention of academia. This idea that we could just carefully dissect a passage using logic and using science to better understand what God's word means, that's kind of a modern idea. But early church commentaries weren't really commentaries at all. They were books of sermons. Whenever the early church wanted to understand a passage, it was preached by pastors. And so it is true that you can dissect all the grammar, you can look up the meanings of all the words, but you might not truly believe and you might not truly understand even doing that what the passage means. Hearing does not equal understanding. Hearing they may not understand, seeing they may not perceive. Artificial intelligence makes this super obvious. Artificial intelligence could write a commentary on the Bible, at least a modern one. But artificial intelligence doesn't understand the passage. It doesn't believe the passage. It doesn't affect its heart. It doesn't take root. Academics today can write all sorts of commentaries. In fact, they do. You can go and find, if you want, I don't suggest you do this, but you can go find, if you want, commentaries on the Bible from a feminist perspective or from an LGBTQ perspective. Now, of course, we would say that those are not good commentaries, but what makes them not good? It's not the fact that those academics don't understand the grammar of a passage. It's that they have no faith. That they're not reading it like Christians. And so this gets us to the point. The point that Jesus is making is this, is that to receive God's word, it takes faith. 
Yes, it is also true, like we talked about from Romans 10, that the preaching of the word creates faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ, but then to continue to receive the word of Christ in your life and especially in your heart in a way that it takes root also takes faith. It's like baptism. Baptism creates faith on one hand, but baptism and the gifts of baptism are also received by faith. And the truth of the matter is there are lots of people, and this is one of the teachings here of Scripture, lots of people who will in their life hear God's word, see God's word, experience God's word in some way, But they won't get it. They won't receive it in faith. And this is why Jesus says he preaches in parables. He preaches in parables because those who have faith will understand the parables. Those who don't have faith won't. And that's sad. Of course it is. But it is true. Jesus quotes there when he says, seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand. He quotes there from something that was told to multiple of the prophets, to Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the major prophets. God had given that prophecy that the prophets would go out and they would preach their hearts out. And you can go and read how fervently Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel preached. And yet they preached and they preached and they preached and people did not listen. They still rejected. And you can see that in the sower of the seed, too. That when the sower sows the seed, oftentimes he sows it in a place where it does not bear fruit. Maybe it takes root for a little bit, but the roots are shallow. Or maybe it springs up for a little bit, but it gets scorched by the sun. Or maybe it just gets taken up right away by the devil. But the word does not always, in someone's life, bear fruit. The truth is, many will not understand. And in a way, this also shows why faith is needed to read the scriptures. Because that's a hard teaching. And there are many such hard teachings in the scriptures. This is something that I think about quite a bit as a preacher. Is that sometimes I have to preach things and sometimes I have to say things that people do not want to hear. We were just talking about this in Bible study. The book of Lamentations, which we're studying right now, is a book of funeral dirges. People don't like funeral dirges, but they need them. Sometimes the Bible does not give us just what we want to hear, just what is pleasant to hear, just what our itching ears want to hear. But in fact, the Bible always gives us what we need to hear. The Bible gives us the easy and the pleasant teachings, but it also gives us the difficult and the hard teachings. And the person that has faith in Christ, the person 
that hears and understands and sees and perceives the teachings of Scripture is the person who has faith, faith that is able to say, it doesn't matter what I want the Bible to say, I'm going to conform my life to God's word. I'm not going to conform God's word to my life or to the culture or to whatever floats my boat that day. And so the word is received in faith and devotion. And so we've said a lot about what God's word isn't and how God's word should not be approached. I don't think it should be approached as either some sort of magical incantation that if we just make sure the words get into our eyes or make sure the words get into our ears, then somehow they will positively affect us. And I also don't think it should be approached purely as an academic exercise. It should be approached in faith. The only proper reading of Scripture is a Christian reading of Scripture. It's a devotional reading of Scripture. And you can see that in this parable, that for the word to take root and to bear fruit, the ground that the seed falls on, that is the ground of our hearts, it must be good ground. And so, yes, that parable, the parable of the sower, the seed, it's one of my favorite parables in the scriptures. It is about evangelism, and that's a whole different sermon. We should talk about that another time. But I also want you to think about the parable of the sower of the seed this way, is that it's about the state of your heart. To rightly receive the word and to digest God's word means the ground of your heart should be tended to. And so when we go to approach the word, when we come to receive the scriptures, when we go to read our Bibles or to listen to our Bibles or to listen to the sermons and the Bible studies, we should be prepared in our hearts. We should be prepared to fight the devil who wants to snatch away the word from us When it is first given, we should pray. I don't mean this to sound overly pious or braggadocious, but I will tell you that every time before I go to write a sermon or before I go to study my Bible, one of the things that I do, and I think this is right and salutary, I think you should do it too, is to pray. To pray that the Holy Spirit would guide your reading of the scripture. To pray that the Holy Spirit would make you humble. To not input your own thoughts into the scripture, but let the scripture change your heart. To pray that the devil would not cause you to be tempted whenever you are digesting and hearing God's word. We should pray against the devil. We should fight against the devil. 
Lent is coming up soon. This is pre-Lent. We're preparing for Lent. One of the things you can do during Lent to help fight against the devil as you receive his word is fasting and almsgiving and the other Lenten disciplines. We can talk more about that later. And we should also be prepared that when we receive the word, we are not only going surface level with it. This is one of the dangers is that when the seed falls among the thorns, that it does not, or when it falls among the rocks, that it does not bear a deep root. And so we should be prepared when we go into the scriptures to go deep into them. To not just receive them in a surface level way or to only study them just with a kind of a bare minimum attitude. But that we should try and deeply understand what the scriptures are trying to teach us so that we can grow our roots. That we can pick those rocks out and throw them aside. And we should also... Be prepared to not be distracted by the cares of this world, wealth, and earthly pleasures. When we do go to receive the Bible, we should not be thinking about or worried about what's next on the calendar or how much money is in the bank account or what I'm going to eat for dinner tonight or what I'm going to watch on the TV tonight for my pleasure If we get distracted by those things, we cannot rightly take God's word into us without being choked out. So we should be prepared for these things. We should prepare our heart. Now the good news is this, that Christ's word, nonetheless, even though our hearts are not perfect and the ground is not always pleasant... Christ's word is still powerful. And the really good news is this. You're not the sower. Christ is the sower. And even if the ground looks a little bit rocky or a little bit thorny, or it looks like the wayside, maybe somewhere where the grass wouldn't grow, the sower comes and he sows the seed anyway. And sometimes you know this when you're walking along the sidewalk, that even though it's the wayside and concrete and rocky and thorny, once in a while there's a nice little piece of grass that sprouts up in between all those cracks. And it breaks away the concrete and the rock. And when God's word is sent out by the sower, as we heard in Isaiah 55, and the rains come down, God's word will accomplish that for which it is sent. And so, yes, prepare your heart to receive God's word. Have faith to receive God's word. But receive it with joy. Abide in him and he abides in you and you will bear much fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 full. His word is capable of making it happen. Not magically, not academically, but powerfully by the authority of Christ. To him who has ears, 
Let him hear. Amen.